I work in Cairns Hospital. I'm one of the mission leads for the Australian Medical Assistance Team where I've been. Mark, thank you so much for joining the Senate. You've recently returned from PNG where you led an OSMAT team of 19, I believe it was, to assist with the country's COVID response there. Can you describe some of the work you and your team were involved in? So this is very different to what we normally do with OSMATs. We uh, deployed to Papua New Guinea because of um, a request by the government of Papua New Guinea for assistance through the World Health Organisations. And Australia's OSMAT team is verified by WHO. And we were there really to help them with their planning and response to the increasing numbers of COVID cases that were occurring in Papua New Guinea, uh, mainly in Port Moresby or the, the area around Port Moresby. Team itself, what we did is divided ourselves. I'm only focused on um, the leadership areas, uh, working at the National Coordination Centre, um, whereas uh, some of the rest of the team, so our clinical lead, who's uh, Angie Jackson, who's one of the nurses, nurse practitioners from Cairns, worked at the hospital level, working with um, clinical staff to come up with systems and processes within the clinical facility. Uh, within our team, we had people focusing on the laboratory, uh, the epidemiology side of things, and also our logistics, the logistics systems. So um, the team sort of divided itself out, um, as well as the clinical team, and just divided divide itself up. And then we, we sat down, talked about what we're going to target, and then um, the team went off every day and would target these various areas. And how closely were you working with the local clinicians? Yeah, so uh, the clinical team was in the hospital, the Port Moresby General Hospital, and another hospital called Gerahu Hospital. <clears throat> and also they had um, some other smaller facilities that they'd stepped up uh, to manage COVID-positive cases. So they every day were working with the clinicians and the leadership within those facilities. Mark, did you arrive in PNG knowing exactly what you wanted to achieve while you were there? Our ethos is very much we asked what the, in this case, what Papua New Guinea would like us to do. Um, we'd obviously had the experience here in Cairns, not of large numbers, but of being confronted uh, with the possibility of having large numbers of people uh, becoming positive. So we'd, I've been involved and we had been involved in planning here in Cairns. Um, but really it was looking at what resources they had, what issues they had, um, seeing where they wanted to go and then sort of suggesting some other alternatives as we went along with them. And how long were you, were you there for? So we were in New Guinea for six weeks and then a couple of weeks of quarantine when we got home. What did you think was the biggest challenge as a team while you were there? Um, well, the biggest challenge, I think, was the difficulty knowing the actual numbers. Papua New Guinea only had a limited capability to do testing, very much like Australia very early on in those early days in March and April this year. And so we couldn't get really good data about where the cases were and the numbers of cases. And as you know, that really trying to plan a response really depends on the data that you can get, where the cases are, how many cases are there, that sort of thing. The interesting thing was, um, unlike what we've seen in Melbourne, we weren't seeing a burden upon the hospital system. So though they were getting cases, we weren't seeing um, a heavy burden in the hospitals, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Why do you think that was? I don't know. Um, uh, in part um, because of the limited testing. Mm-hmm. I think in part maybe the age. I think um, younger people 
usually don't do as bad as older people. Um, and if you look at the Melbourne experience, the vast majority of people going into hospitals and dying were um, 60, 70, 80-year-olds. And in Papua New Guinea, someone who's 50 is considered old. Um, I think also it's more spread out population than some of the bigger cities, like we've seen in New York or Melbourne, which are very densely populated cities. Um, so I, I think it was a combination of factors. Um, but certainly what has happened in Australia didn't happen in Papua New Guinea. Can you paint a bit of a picture for us of what the health system in PNG is normally like and how your team adapts to, I guess, the relative resource constraints in PNG? Yeah. So um, from an OSMAP point of view, we're very aware that we're going into resource-poor environments. You know, this is my seventh deployment mm-hmm. um, and we've been to places like um, – uh, Indonesia, uh, Pakistan, the Philippines, uh, Samoa. Um, and so we're very aware that uh, we have to work with what is in the country. So from a Papua New Guinea point of view, it's a resourceful country. They have limited resources available. Really, the Port Moresby General Hospital is about a 1,200-bed hospital, and that's the only intensive care unit in the country. Of note, uh, they have... I think they had five ventilated beds and another three sort of high-dependency beds. Now, there are other ventilators around the country, um, but you need the skill and the staff. And one, one of the interesting things was lots of people, lots of organisations were donating ventilators, but if you don't have the consumables and the tra- staff trained, really, I think it's a waste of time. So we very much looked at what resources they had. Um, you know, uh, for example, the emergency department was very small, um, and they had worked out part of the ED would be where they put their respiratory cases. So we then looked at the processes there and then improved their processes around what they created. Um, um, but it, it, it's a very poor country from a health point of view. They have you know significant rates of tuberculosis, um, child and in, you know maternal and child mortality, malaria, dengue. HIV, all those sort of things going on in the background as well. Mark, you mentioned that yourself and one of the um, nurse practitioners from Cairns was there. What other skill sets did you have on your team? Yeah, so we had quite a diverse team and we had a second team that came up about five weeks after the first team. So um, we had um, emergency medicine, we had laboratory uh, technology uh, team, we had an epidemiologist we had um, some anesthesia experience. We had logistics experience. Um, maternity, so we had midwives with us as well. So quite a broad brush um, of skills and abilities, which is really how, how we work from an OSMAP point of view. And did you, as a team, take additional equipment with you or you used what was available to you in PNG? Yeah, when we got there, we realised very early that this wasn't going to be a, um, a clinical care deployment. Mm-hmm. So they weren't overrun with cases. And so we did take some gear with us, mainly PPE sort of equipment, and we always take some um, you know, medications and stuff for us. Um, but predominantly, uh, we were really more in an advisory and uh, training sort of role. So, for example, one of the things we did was we um, did like an Emergo exercise um, with a facility. So we worked out their structure and their bed space and their staff and then we did a tabletop exercise really to sort of see had they thought through all the issues 
um, if this facility got busy. You know, did they have enough oxygen? Did they have enough PPE? Did they have enough staff? What would they do if two or three patients got sick at one time? Those sort of things. Really to get them thinking about um, other issues that could come up once you've got a facility established. Are the local clinicians happy and comfortable for you to be there? Oh, very much so. Um, very much so. You know, you know, the from a clinical certainly from a well from a clinical point of view, um, they would seek us out to talk about issues <clears throat> and talk through issues with them. Um, from a, um, a national coordination centre point of view, we certainly talked about a lot of issues and and talked through a lot of issues and reviewed a lot of their systems. You know, their oxygen supply system, their medical waste disposal system, their logistics system, their PPE supply system, all these sort of things uh, we looked at um, to sort of help them. Towards the end, we also went out to some of the provinces. So I went down with a small team to Daru and then um, uh, Dan Holmes, who's an anaesthetist on the Sunshine Coast. He was the other leader who came after me. He went up to the Western Seapick, up to Vanamo, and also went to Lay um, to have a look at their their setups and processes as well. For us down in Aru, obviously there was interest from an Australian point of view being on our um, northern border, and obviously for us in the north, um, what's happening in the Torres Strait and the um, the treaty villages uh, and, and the Western province is highly significant for us here in the north. So there was certainly a lot of interest there to see how they were going and coping. Mark, what was the feeling among your team about the potential of contracting COVID-19 and how did you manage any concerns that you might have had going over? Yeah, so you have to remember that um, OSMAT teams have been involved in COVID since probably March this year. Um, They went to Christmas Island, the teams went to Christmas Island, they then went up to Howard Springs for um, the Diamond Princess, that was a ship in Japan. They've been involved in um, uh, Hobart, in Thranburnie, with the hospital that shut. They also went over to Western Australia when they had outbreaks of COVID there. Um, and when I was in Papua New, when our team was in Papua New Guinea, there was another team down in Victoria with the nursing homes. So we actually have got a fair amount of expertise around managing COVID patients. And so far, no Osmatia has become positive due to COVID. So we have some very hard rules um, that we do. So, for example, we have a very set process about how we put on a PPE, how it's watched, and how we take it off. And every day we go through this, um, we practice this every day. Uh, and then we have a process when people are putting it on and taking it off. Uh, we have a very set process on how we do it. Um, um, I'm not a spring chicken, so certainly the literature would suggest that some of us were in that age risk group, mm-hmm. but we felt that it was really important to support Papua New Guinea. Um, and, you know, we take the risk. But, but then again, you know, in my day-to-day business, I take risks and we take risks with health professionals, with people who come through the door with a variety of conditions. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's our job. Yeah. And Mark, what about the feeling amongst the local clinicians? Were they anxious about potentially getting COVID? Oh, yeah. The, the concerns that they had in Papua New Guinea were identical to ours. There was a lot of stigma initially uh, amongst the population about people who were positive or health professionals that were caring for positive people. Um, there was a lot of fear about treating people who were positive, just like we saw in Australia. There were lots of concerns about um, PPE and PPE supplies 
And they did have a big problem with their PPE supplies early, which is exacerbated because it's a resource-poor environment, but identical issues to what we'd had here in Queensland when it first started. Um, so the concerns were the same as I had seen in Queensland um, with a new disease that no one really understands um, and a large media focus on this disease and potential of harm. Did you talk to the, to the local clinicians about um, their safety? Was that anything that you talked about, how protecting themselves? Yeah. So our, our main principle that we told the Prime Minister and the health minister and the heads of all the hospitals is you have to make the, the, the three important principles were firstly, you have to make your staff safe. Secondly, you have to make your workplace safe so you can provide safe care. And that was sort of the mantra that we spoke wherever we went that you had to make it safe for staff first. Um, and that's what we really focused on um, in, during our entire deployment to Papua New Guinea. Mark, how do you get back to normal when you come home from a deployment like this? Like, how do you adjust? Yeah. Well, we're a bit lucky this time, or unlucky. We had to spend two weeks in quarantine. Yeah. But we now, you know, I know that when we get home, um, it is quite a shock sometimes. And you just have to let it go and just be aware that for a first few weeks, um, you know, you have, you may in some of the deployments we've had, uh, for example, when we came back from Samoa, when we were having children under three dying on us every day uh, with complications from measles, you realise that it's going to take a period just to get back to normality and try not to do too much. Um, and just it just takes time. Um, we do have processes in our OSMAT training. They have a system where the psychologist sort of briefs you and debriefs you. Um, and you, if you need more time, you can, you know, they're happy to torture as much as you need to sort of cope with that. Um, but you're just aware that it often is quite a change when you get back to Australia. Mark, I imagine you've had a lot of heartbreaking experiences. Yeah, we, we, we have. We've had some very hard trips. Um, I think Samoa, uh, with the measles epidemic, um, you know, Australia should be very proud of what we did over there. That was incredibly difficult. Um, that was a health system completely overrun um, with where they had up to 160 children under four all admitted with measles to a hospital. The five-bedded ICU would have 11 ventilated children. There'd be a couple of adults ventilated in the recovery. They'd turn um, the physiotherapy clinic and the dental clinic into wards and there'd be 50 kids in each of those wards and it, measles kids are miserable. The Osmat, you know, we sent all up, 120 people went over six deployments um, over two months and it was really, really tough. Uh, we've had some, you know, really enjoyable ones. Um, you know, when we went to Christchurch after the earthquake, uh, the Kiwis were fantastic and really looked after us and we, we did some really good stuff in New Zealand as well. So um, they're all very rewarding and all very different. Where did your interest in joining Osmat come from? Um, in the early 2000s, my wife and I um, went with a small charity to orphanages in southern India for a couple of weeks every year. And I think that was sort of the interest that started. Um, and then uh, we both did a master's in public health and it sort of went from there. Uh, we were fortunate enough that um, we're from Western Australia and WA, uh, after the Indian Ocean tsunami, the federal government 
gave Western Australia Health funding, seed funding, to look at setting up deployable health teams. And so WA was sort of the focus and they really started off with a proposal. Um, and that led to the first sort of OSMAT deployments in 2006 to the earthquake in Jakarta, which we went to uh, for a couple of weeks. Mark, one last thing. You train here in Australia and then you go to work in countries that don't have the resources that we do. How does that help you as a clinician? Um, uh, well, in a variety of ways, actually. I think, um, firstly, um, it helps you from a team point of view. So I was in charge of the team with my clinical lead, Ange, who's one of our nurse practitioners here in Cairns. And so we, we from a leadership point of view, and also a problem-solving point of view, um, it's very good. Um, from a clinical point of view, you see things that you've never seen um, <clears throat> or problems that you, you've never dealt with before or conditions you have seen before, but you don't have many resources to deal with it. For example, when we went to Bangladesh, we went to um, Cox's Bazaar where there's this huge refugee camp where a million uh, Rohingyas across the border from Myanmar. At very short notice, in six weeks, and there was a, a diphtheria outbreak, and so we spent three or four days in Bangladesh and down in Cox's Bazaar. And I came back to work and walked into work the next morning, and there was a guy with exactly the same symptoms, and he turned out to have diphtheria. So because I'd seen it overseas, I knew exactly what it was, or I was very suspicious that this is what it was. So you do see things that you wouldn't see in Australia. Um, which is um, really, really helpful. Um, and I think also from a disaster planning point of view, I think the fact that we've got a large number of Queensland-based Osmoteers just means that you you have a, a number of people who've had the, um, uh, the opportunity to go away but also have those skills and abilities um, if, if ever we need um, to respond to something within our state. And does it also, because you don't have the resources there, does it take you back a bit to the basics of medicine? Yeah, very much so. So we, um, um, it becomes clinical medicine. So when we went to the Philippines to tackle ban in 2013, so we set up a surgical hospital, so a 40-bed hospital with two theatres, four high-dependency beds, laboratory, all that sort of stuff. And we saw about 4,500 people in four weeks. Um, uh, no laboratory. So this was all clinical medicine. So all the doctors are specialists. All the doctors are, all the nurses are very senior nurses. So it's clinical medicine. And you're making clinical decisions based on what you can see, see um, um, as opposed to anything else. It's such interesting work, Mark. Thank you so much for talking with us. My pleasure. Thanks very much. 